Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You must come here now. No. Please, no, I don't want to. I'm not doing anything with you. I'm, I'm very embarrassing. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. No, yesterday was a kind of aggressive for I, me. I, I, I need to know a person to I be touched. I won't do a thing. I won't do a thing, please. I swear I won't. Just sit with me. Don't embarrass me in the hotel. I'm here all the time. I sit know, with me. but I, I don't want to. Please sit there. Please. Mm. One minute. No, I, ask I can't. You. Go to the bathroom. Please, I don't want to do something I don't want Go to. Go to the bathroom. Come here. Listen to me. I want to go downstairs. I'm not going to do anything. Welcome to Politics, the fake news you can use. My name is Tim Batt, and I'm talking to you from Auckland, New Zealand. <laughs> and I'm Jeb Lund. I'm talking to you from Tampa, Florida. Uh, that's, that's my favorite bit of this podcast, when I can get a genuine laugh out of Jeb. Good to talk to you again, buddy. We had a, uh, yeah. a long absence, and then we did a record, and we're back again. People will be shocked. Yeah, I feel... I, I'm. My concern, my worry, and, and maybe I'm off base here, is like when you, you know, you get really good at making a dish, like you get really good at making minestrone soup or something, and you get it to the point where it's automatic and like you and your girlfriend, you don't know what to have that night, so you just make minestrone soup, and then like after about six months, you can just never make it again, and then you take a year off and you come back, you make it again, because like you're, you're no longer sick of it, and you go, oh, this is so good, why did we ever stop making this? And then you make it again a week later and you're like, oh, no, I, I know why. I just hope that doesn't happen. That's that's my thing. Well, I don't want to be the minestrone soup of podcasting. I, I think to uh, negate that, you've got to keep challenging yourself and adding new elements. And I've just found out that Jeb can do pretty good impressions, actually. And I've got a really big fly trapped with me inside the studio. So you might just hear random buzzing and me sounding very erratic as I try and dodge it. But I'm, I'm trapped in here with a blowfly, and I'm going to make Jeb do voices at some point. So that's something to look forward to. Look, I just want to caution you. One thing, don't, if you've, I, I, I know ordinarily when we're done with this, you like to just teleport over to hang out with Guy. Don't get mm. in your teleporter. Not today. <laughs> what, wait a minute. What do you, what, what does that mean? <laughs> look, if you got a blowfly going around the, the, the apartment. It just feels like it's simply fake. Oh, shit. Very nice. Don't go anywhere near a teleporter. Don't do anything with matter transference, in point of fact. Just You know, know. I've never seen The Fly, but that that has reminded me that I need to watch that movie. Very good. Hey, Jeb. Listen, huge week. Big week. Lot happening. But all of the news that has been dominating, and this is honestly the first time I can remember this being the case for quite some time, since way before the, the U.S. election, the biggest news isn't inherently political. It's about something else. And that something else is Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Although, uh, you know, you could make the case that everything is political and that, you know, the, it, the everybody's arguing about it because uh, there are so many ways to kick that football. You That's know, you true. See, like, and this isn't even such a curly or long line to get to politics, but it's still about a different industry that isn't politicians. Yeah. Although, I mean, 
it's been fun to see everybody try to to boost it. I mean, my favorite one today was um, uh, people may remember they may have already forgotten by the time they hear this that Rose McGowan got suspended from Twitter for uh, and it got written up by the left as like you know there's a, a woman is being silenced by groups that are much more powerful than she is, and that's true to a certain extent. But the other fact was she posted somebody's phone number, and I've been suspended for half a day for that. I mean that's. Twitter's always been yeah. pretty automatic about that. But you so you, you saw that's, that's one literally doxing. That is what that thing is. Yeah, and like I mean, all you have to do is get one report for it and they see like the the you know, zip codes and then seven digits after that and they're like or area code and seven digits after that and they go, Okay, that that's done. Um but you, you get to see both sides using the football, right? Like in uh, on the left it was, oh my goodness. Um, you know, the, the powerful entities are silencing a woman who's basically cast, you know, she's pulling the, uh, the, the veil off of like this exploitive part of the industry. And then you had all the Breitbart ghouls lambasting Twitter for, uh, for, uh, suspending Rose McGowan as well, because it was about free speech, which of course, you know, their angle is they want to make sure that as many Nazis don't get suspended as possible one. And then two, they seem to think that like this Harvey Weinstein news is going to be the thing that break breaks the Clinton campaign, <laughs> which is, I mean, incredibly cynical and gross, but like, it, it's just weird to see them like, well, we're going to totally leverage this McGowan thing. And people will really believe that we mean it sincerely it it is a tricky old thing where you get an issue which is this serious and everyone is trying to use it as their own political vehicle just to uh catch anyone up maybe you're listening to this in 50 years which is a weird way to consume a podcast about what's happening in the news but harvey weinstein uh has been splashed across the news for the last sort of five or six days because uh all of these a-list women and now we're up to like 30 or 40 names now of these A-listers have come forward uh, saying with with basically rape allegations and sexual abuse allegations against Harvey Weinstein, who's an um, incredibly successful film producer whose uh, company has made movies like Django Unchained and King's Speech and Silver Linings Playbook and won lots of Oscars, worked a lot with Quentin Tarantino. And um, suddenly everyone has come forward. Uh, Rose McGowan sort of kicked this thing off, right? Well, I guess she had uh, initially, like, part of the reason that she she can't she isn't named in Ronan Farrow's piece in the New Yorker is that she had initially made a complaint and then uh, got uh, a legal settlement with uh, with his attorneys, and so she can't say everything. But she uh, so like in in a way, she was one of the people who, who kicked this off. I mean, her, her initial assault. I mean, if you want to call that kicking it off, is like ninety eight or something, like really yes. far back. So for people uh, who aren't in the States who are listening to this, can you even, uh, in a really sort of wide way, just explain what the legal situation is? Because I feel like America, you guys treat libel and slander slander quite differently to everyone else, and it creates this incredibly protective environment for things like this where they just simmer and no one's prepared to come forward because there is, like, huge... Uh, litigation potential for people to just get fucked up and chewed up by the machine if they come forward and name their abuser they can sort of get get lawyered out and their whole lives can be ruined well there's that but it's also you know i mean i think the bigger issue and uh cory robin who's a, a political science professor at brooklyn college and has a wonderful book that i recommend everybody called the reactionary mind 
which is kind of a history of conservatism. But he had a you know a good bit uh, today, I think, on his blog where he says, you know, it, the, the the bigger thing is like the the allocation of resources and, and power and everybody reacting to that in this individual way and not in a collective way. So you get. You know, when when somebody like Harvey Weinstein says, "Okay, you know, I, I control the access to Hollywood for you. Uh, I'm the person who, who can or, or can choose not to make you a star. You know, the, the people with nothing, uh, the, 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 the people who have no Q rating, who need to be made by Harvey Weinstein, all look up and wonder why Judy Dench and Meryl Streep and Gwyneth Paltrow and uh, Angelina Jolie, why they don't blow the whistle on Harvey Weinstein because they have all the money and access already. It's not going to hurt their careers. And then, of course, the women on top say, well, why don't the women on the bottom who don't have a career to lose? Why can't they say something? And in both cases, it's a rational response. Uh, But what it does is it diffuses the responsibility. It makes it you you are capable immediately of perceiving your own self-interest and perceiving how easily somebody else could sacrifice theirs to make a statement and you hope that somebody else will do it. And that's how guys like this coast, in addition to having this massive legal apparatus where he can afford to bleed you and your family and everyone who cares about you white legally for I've, years in, in, in a litigation. Yeah. I, I have to say, this is the first time I've ever heard an argument for people like starting out their careers as being the assumed spokespeople for these sorts of abuses and that the, the sort of charge should be on them to come forward rather than the more empowered people who are further on in their career. And I have heard some assessments of this whole situation that why it's coming out now is because Harvey Weinstein's basically power is on the wane. But the, the right, really yeah. like... There's a couple of interesting things that are going on with this. I actually, um, uh, in the interest of balance, I jumped on Breitbart.com this morning when I woke up to see what they were making of it. And they're trying to get Ben Affleck involved in this whole firestorm as well. Um, and uh, I think even by his own admission in the last few days, he's admitted to basically groping uh, one woman, um, which he apologized for on Twitter and then a lot of other people have come forward uh, and I've forgotten her name but there's a makeup artist whose husband is uh, John Mulaney the stand-up comedian who, who's come forward and said that at a uh, Golden Globes party I think it was at some sort of award ceremony he was grabbing her ass and then all these women started flooding forward saying yeah he did the same to me um, at the same party but man yeah yeah, yeah literally like at the it same was, event it wasn't just like over the course of his career it was like no shit. It was like, a at bad the same night. Gold Globes party, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the whole and um, you know, undeniably that is awful. Uh, but the allegations that have come forward about Ben Affleck uh, of um quite a lower magnitude than the historic planned sort of institutionalized uh, rape allegations that are coming forward against Harvey Weinstein. Um, but anyway, look, it's it's just more of that thing of everyone trying to hitch their political um, cart to the wagon that's taking off. But what do you do? You kind of agree with this assessment that it it's coming out now because Harvey Weinstein is less powerful than he used to be. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think the the line that that everyone has offered, uh, at least the people who are kind of coming forward, is saying, "Well, we think the culture is a little, a little bit different now in terms of what." happened to Bill Cosby, Roger Ailes, Bill O'Reilly. And they're right for that. But I think also uh, the the less heroic um, way of phrasing it is like, I think they're also probably comfortable. You know, it's like the revolution of rising expectations, right? You know, like he, he, you, you can, things have gotten better. So 
we'll go and fix something we we thought we had to live with forever. Um, you know, I, I think it just I don't think that it, it sounds as good. So it's probably not getting fronted as much. Nobody likes to admit that they've been this cowed this long and they're only now coming forward because the opponent is weaker and not because they're stronger. Um, so uh, if that. But, if that's the case, because some people were talking about this being a tipping point of exposing a much wider circle of people and potentially, I don't know how, what kind of word you would use, collectives that have facilitated this sort of behavior and some stuff that's even worse. Uh, Corey Feldman, for example, a child star who for years and years has been um, sort of unable to blow the whistle on the abuses that he and Corey Haim uh, suffered when they were kids um, for reasons that there's like a statute of limitations and if he started naming names he would be ruined by the uh, sort of legal processes that I was talking about before but it, so it's kind of if you're right Jeb that's really sad because it means that the tipping point moment culturally that we're at isn't the reason for this uh, which means that there are probably very very powerful predominantly men who are still getting away with this now and that might not change i think what i've been thinking more about is when when people are having this discussion like are we going to see a sea change are we going to see uh more expectations that that uh they're going to be protocols in all these studios for a more equitable kind of like talent process and 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 better kind of hr um you know the thing if you're not you get it because you've you've been working on uh tv shows here in the u.s and and at home um you know the the people who appear on screen are are in a lot of ways the most fungible people of all because they're not you know they're the, the people are acting they're not saying you know somebody else wrote it somebody else is filming it uh somebody else put up the money for it they're just the attractive people and like at every step of the way they're reminded of how fungible they are and so there is this kind of like baked in sense that you are the least valuable commodity in this process that, you know, unless you're a star. And of course, if you're a star, you are made by the system that controls those resources and allocates them. So at any minute, if you get too uppity, your head can get lopped off and there are going to be a thousand people who look just like you waiting to take your job. You know, it's not going to be as simple as like Dick Sargent and Dick York switching places as Darren on Bewitched. I mean, not everybody looks exactly alike, but if you want to get a Heath Ledger type, you know, there's 10,000 Heath Ledger types, at least physically, maybe not in terms of talent, right? But like you mm. can wait, you can build it, but there's 10,000 of those in America alone. Which and, is the, what you're talking about is the exact reason why this kind of behavior has sustained for so long and by all accounts seems so systemic and historic and sort of undefeatable, sadly. But it it does feel like the world is changing and the culture is changing and becoming... Uh, I mean, it would be hard to believe this happening 10 years ago, you know? They're, they're just... Even, even a decade ago, there was a very different set of attitudes and less public hunger for seeing these sorts of things aired proper, uh, properly in public and hearing from the survivors and the, the abuse victims. Yeah, um, although, you know, it was just two years ago that the woman who, you know, the, the New Yorker published audio of a woman confronting Harvey Weinstein the day after he had grabbed her breast. She was a model. Yeah. And within, you know, within weeks of, of her, I, I suppose it was within weeks. I mean, I may be incorrect here and I'm sorry, but uh, within, you know, a short time of her, 
confronting Harvey Weinstein, suddenly in the New York Post is reporting uh, about how, you know, her background as well, basically characterizing her as slutty. So the apparatus was still there in 2015. Uh, and the apparatus is still there now. I mean, it's just that maybe he hit a critical mass of allegations. I mean, it, he doesn't seem to yeah. have been particularly subtle. If he had been yeah. restricting his targets uh, and and limiting them, uh, restricting the people he went after, went after and limiting the the total number, maybe he would have gotten away with it until he retired. Which I'm sure a lot of men have, and I mean, there are really sort of glaring examples of men who we know some bad stuff has definitely happened uh like um ronan farrow's father is you know a guy who's walking around still making movies who he he married his child you know his adopted daughter like there's there's a lot of weird shit that just seems to have become part of the fabric and the story of old hollywood and it's kind of weird that we just sort of accept it now yeah, but and maybe it, these things are getting overturned and reassessed in light of cultural changes. That's my hope, anyway. It's it's my hope too. But at the same time, you know, you look at what's happening with Facebook right now being investigated by the Senate or being asked to testify by the Senate. They went ahead and just did whatever they wanted, even though they they knew that uh, some of the stuff they were were some of the things that they've been doing and the way they structured their company and and Twitter to the same to the same extent the way they've structured their company hurts other people, but. What are you going to do to stop them? They don't feel like it. They want to make money. They want to make it their own way. Uh, you know, the the whole point of becoming fabulously wealthy for people who aren't naturally physically beautiful and charming. And, you know, the, the whole point of having the money is to control the behavior of others who normally wouldn't pay attention to you. Um, I don't know. Like, I just I feel like there there's no shortage of sociopaths that that accrue power to abuse it for certain you know, for certain purposes and in Hollywood, it's, it's sexual conquest. And then, uh, you know, tech, it's just to prove that nobody can stop you. Um, I don't know. Like I, that's like such a macro take, but it, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> it's probably fair, but it's very depressing. And as an optimist, I, I am just attempting to, uh, you know, counter it. Uh, I just looked up the woman's name. I'm probably going to muck up the pronunciation, but Amber, uh, Batalana, Gutierrez, Gutierrez uh, yeah. is the woman who it was a fucking interesting situation what happened with her because she was uh, allegedly abused by Harvey Weinstein and then went to I think it was the New York Police Department and uh, just very you know matter of fact as she should have laid uh, these the, these charges with the police and the police set her up with a wire and she went back in which is where that recording that we now um, has been made public by I think the New Yorker um, that's where that came from and the police did not or I did again I, I'm not familiar with the American legal system of who's supposed to press the charges but if it's like the what do you call it the the district attorney or if it was yeah. the, in New Zealand like it would be um, potentially the police that would press charges on behalf of someone and if it wasn't the person themselves I don't know how it works in the states but whatever it was they deemed for whatever reason that the case wasn't strong enough to press charges with this incredibly damning um, audio recording. And as you say, that only happened a few years ago. Like, that was very recent. And that's, I mean, that's so incredibly disheartening that you can be an abuse victim with cold physical evidence, bring it to the authorities, and they still sit on their hands. Like, that is... And I think that's the reason why... um, 
can't even remember who I was listening to talking about this, but it was a journalist, and they were sort of talking about these uh, people within the police department, how this leak has gotten out to the media, is because there were cops in that office who were just so incredibly frustrated and just absolutely angry about the fact that charges weren't pressed, even with this tape existing. So well, that's, the, you know, the that's flabber- disheartening. <laughs> the, the, the completely like flabbergasting part of that was she went to uh, so like she went to a meeting with Weinstein who then you know turns like you know octopus arms and and is trying to grope her every which way and then she leaves and she immediately goes to the police and then he calls her to set up a get together with her why and he doesn't know while she's with the fucking police so like they're listening to the call Jesus Christ and then, and then the sort of a tie-in to depress you, right? So in, in the U.S., the, uh, the district attorney has to uh, bring the charges. The district attorney in this case in New York is Cyrus Vance Jr., who was already the subject just two weeks ago, uh, maybe not even that, of a very long piece in the New Yorker, not very long, but uh, um, a, a substantial piece in the New Yorker reported by the New Yorker and ProPublica and I think a local New York station on how Cyrus Vance Jr., the Manhattan DA had declined to prosecute uh, uh, the the Trump family for misrepresenting the occupancy of a building um, uh, their their Manhattan Soho. Oh uh, yeah, there was like a fraud allegation where they were basically telling everyone it was you know there's one apartment left, right? I mean, I'm yeah, paraphrasing. It, it was it was like the extra situation, but. It's max occupancy. I think was maybe twenty five or thirty percent, and they were claiming that it was already sixty five percent occupied. Uh, so he declined to go after them. And then right after that, one of uh, the Trump family attorneys bundled, I think, thirty five thousand dollars in donations to the election campaign of Cyrus Vance Jr. So that's a twofer for him in terms of New York media and uh, dropping the ball on what would seem to be his job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of what he is being paid uh, to, to do. It's well. What do you? So it sounds to me like you think, Jeb, that on the balance of everything, you don't anticipate the ball to keep rolling and other names to be named and heads to roll as a result of this. Do you think it's probably going to stop with Harvey Weinstein, who's now been disowned by his own company? We'll probably get charges pressed against him, and hopefully, will be found guilty on some stuff and maybe go away for a while. But you think that that's where it's going to end? I, I think. I think there may be more people at the Weinstein company, you know, that more people on the board who clearly have no excuse for not knowing or have no plausible line that would make somebody assume they didn't know. I think they might go. um, And I think, I mean, I I don't mean to sound wholly negative, right? Like every one of these pushes us further toward going, you know, this is totally unacceptable. And, you know, it's an incrementalism that seems so disappointing at the time. And obviously it's nowhere close to what justice is. But you can watch it in real time in yourself and in your friends on the Internet. Like in as much as I might have just castigated like Twitter or Facebook, when you look at those like, let's take you back to four years ago kind of things where you go and look at an old update and you can see the sorts of jokes that people make and they don't make anymore. You know, like or at least among people that you and I would associate with people who we like to think are people of goodwill and who are not going to embrace a take that marginalizes or hurts uh, a minority or, or disadvantaged community, right? And like, whereas six years ago, people might still be telling like dead hooker jokes. Now everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. sex yeah. workers have yeah. rights just like everybody else does. And like, we shouldn't trivialize the, the screwed up legality of their profession 
you know, bringing them greater harm and risk, right? Like, it, so I think, you know, it may not be now. And, and, and in fact, so much of the news cycle seems to be sated when you can take like a big person like Harvey Weinstein down. It's like, got him. <laughs> and like, yeah. And everybody it, wants to trust it, that like HR departments are internally going to fix everything. Like everybody has their own Weinstein who will be quietly fired. It doesn't really happen. But I, I'm, I know that we're nudging the right way. I think this is maybe more than the nudge. Is a hop, you know, progress is happening, but it's slow is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Well, and I'll sort of round off on this about the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. The the it's so awful, and I just um am constantly staggered by the names that keep getting added to it. That this list is so long. Like this, he had a system for this that involves so many people and institutions and companies and, and methods, and it was just it's staggering the kind of scale of this. But what um the sort of positive output of this is is in all these smaller contexts because we're getting it here in New Zealand there are all of these conversations happening across all kinds of industries at all kinds of workplaces now um, off the back of this because it took something like a big celebrity scandal to put this on the front of every paper but this is such a pervasive problem across so many different industries that there is something good to come out of it about us now having the conversation within all of these smaller and diverse contexts and workplaces and locations that everyone can kind of go, well, fucking yeah, that's, you know, that's been happening around here for ages because that, you know, this creepy old dude who's been getting away with it for a while. And as people start to connect up and sort of join the dots and compare their stories, uh, you know, hopefully some good will come out of this and we probably won't hear about a lot of it because it will be in smaller contexts and more far-flung places, I hope. And I think I really do think that that is going to be happening off the back of this. Well, I hope you're right. Well, on that uh, note of positivity and optimism, we'll take a, a short break and then we're going to come back uh, to talk about the other big sex abuser who's been in the public eye for a long time, Donald Trump. To tell you, for the last quarter, three, you had three percent, three two, and actually three two. They adjusted it upward. What a nice sound that is! Are they playing that for you or for me? They're playing that in honor of his ratings. Did you see how good his ratings? He's beating everybody. Welcome back to Politics, a podcast journaling a performance art piece called the Trump Administration, uh, and it, it's it's kind of nice that uh, you know. There has been some oxygen in the news cycle at this part of the year for other things to be talked about, um, namely the big bad wolf that is Harvey Weinstein, Jeb. But Trump, of course, is always there leering, drooling in the corner, disrespecting the flag while calling out prominent NFL athletes for doing the same thing. Um, holy shit. Let's, let's run down what's happening with Trump at the moment. First of all, that flag thing. Did you see that? Because that just happened today, I think. That was bananas on Hannity. Oh, the oh yeah, that was uh, not not tonight. It was the night before. Yeah, he went live on Hannity, and then they uh, uh, he just talked over the flag, um, the flag setting. Jesus, I'm really tired. <laughs> if, if, nobody, I don't know if anybody can tell. Like I have a really bad cold. <laughs> You've also got a kid, which is where you got it. Which um, I'm sure people will be able to relate to the sleep deprivation around that. But it's called the retreat, right? That ceremony yeah. where they uh, pull the flag back down when you're in a military base. And uh, Trump had no understanding of what was going on, was talking to Hannity while the music as part of that ceremony piped up by the military band. 
and uh, just sort of said to Hannity, is that is that for me or is that for you? It must be for you because you've got such great ratings at the moment. It's just like, holy shit. You've just spent the last fortnight on Twitter attempting unsuccessfully to eviscerate people who refuse to stand for the national anthem. And you are absolutely embarrassing yourself in the most patriotic of settings. It was crazy. It's It's just the amount of shit that is being normalized at the moment because our bandwidth for being able to be outraged at individual things fucking blows me away. It's such a an amazing quirk of the human mind that he's managed to uh, kind of like hack for his own purposes, just overload us with bullshit. Because that moment alone in any normal presidency would be not maybe not like a career ender, but it would be incredibly damaging. And it, it's just a drop in the bucket for this dude. I feel like that would only be a problem if a Democrat did it. I mean, because it's the it's the Democrat, it's the Republican rules, right? Like nobody if the, the, the perfect example was a couple of weeks ago, the Senate just almost uniformly passed an 80 billion dollar addition to the military budget. Right. And like Adam C. Johnson is a, a, a blogger out of New York and solidly lefty was comparing like how many things you could put in there. You could put in like, you know, three national endowment for the arts two justice departments and he's just going through all these agencies that can be funded multiple times over with that same amount of money right well you're never going to be called an irresponsible you know like poor custodian of the public trust by blowing the budget on the military uh you you blow the budget on things like people who are starving um and, and just like it's a problem when obama Which is went, nuts. yeah but like well, i was gonna say it, it's just like the, sorry the, you go jim the, the serious thing is to be in favor of like killing and and getting your money back and making the government smaller and everything else is unserious. And so like Trump just seems to have recognized that like if a Republican does it and it's unpatriotic, it doesn't matter because he's a Republican and you know he cares. And if a Democrat does it, it's because they either are shitting all over the tradition or are so un-American they're not even aware of it. So like if Bill Clinton had sat there and kept talking during the retreat, it would have been like, well, it's because he hates the military. He's a draft dodger. He's you know he's probably high on marijuana, or he's planning his next rape, you know. And and like if Trump does it, it's like well he's I mean he he didn't want to interrupt the troops enjoying it, so he was talking to Hannity. And of course he's a seasoned TV pro, and they're live. He can't just sit there quietly. Like he would you know if he, if he weren't on camera and he didn't have to like riff and vamp for sixty seconds. He totally would have saluted, right? Like the, uh, it's like you're channeling Kellyanne Conway in real time as I'm talking to you, and it is terrifying. But it, but that's that's been the case for so long. I mean, like at what point would you know? At, at no point should George W. Bush have been a more credible voice on the military than John Kerry. But you know, like he he's a Republican, so he comes in with like that extra, like ten swing on the handicap, right? Like her mm. 10 strokes on the handicap that he doesn't have to worry about. Even though that's probably what he was doing during Vietnam anyway. But, okay, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that that, uh, uh, what's the opposite of a handicap? That opportunity, that, uh, that, that added military strength that is built into being part of the GOP apparatus, do you think that that extends to Donald Trump? Because he's not, people keep saying this, he's not really a Republican. So do you think that he's afforded that same um, he's afforded that same deference from the Republican or just the conservative crowds in America? 
Well, yeah, because like the modern GOP governing principle is like whatever Democrats do is bad. And like people are fine with that. I mean, it, it's and you can see his playbook has been, did Obama do it? Let's undo it. Did Obama want it? Let's get rid of it. Did Obama hate it? Let's but start it. And specifically, because I think this speaks to a wider point, specifically on this military stuff, because I, I totally agree with you. It seems like Republicans just have, a, as you say, like a built-in plus 10 points um, when it comes to the military. But I don't know if Trump does. I don't know if Trump does in that same way because he's so different from every other Republican politician in every other way that I I don't know. But then again, I guess he's a guy who seems like he could blow his nose on the American flag and convince everyone it was a patriotic act at the moment just by kind of waving his hands and screaming the words loudly enough because he just keeps saying things and people kind of follow it. Yeah, I, I really think that a lot of the, you know, that that core 35 percent fan, you know, 25 to 35 percent fan base, that's not going to budge. I mean, these are the people who spent, uh, you know, the, the Bush administration going parroting Dick Cheney going deficits don't matter. You know, the people who when we were projected to have a budget surplus under Clinton, well, we had to have tax cuts because Washington couldn't afford to centralize the power of those budget surpluses to return them to the people to unlock even more potential. And then after 9-11 and after the initial wave of of Bush tinkering with the economy, the economy went in free fall. And then we had to have tax cuts to generate revenue so we could get back to a surplus. And then but it didn't matter because we could start two wars because deficits don't matter. And then, boom, Obama gets elected. And it's like, well, why aren't you building the economy and look at your fucking deficit? And then Trump becomes president and deficits don't matter. And I think... But I'm not even talking about that core with uh, rather that basement of 25 to 30% of people who will literally follow Trump into hell behind him. But for a little bit more of the mainstream voter, do you think that they're affording him the same sort of military... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The credential that is built into being a, a GOP guy. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is like it's not even it's beyond military. It's just sort of a general thing at this point. Like, does it piss off the mainstream media and liberals? Clearly it has. So it's good. Um, And is it okay when my guy does it? Like my guy screws up. That's great. I know he's got his heart in the right place. If the other guy does it, it's because he's either malignant or an idiot. And like we're not immune to this. Right. Like I I think if Clinton, you know, if Clinton had fucked up the blowing the retreat would have been like, okay, how, how, how many hours has she been awake? How many other things is she worried about? This is a stupid PR thing. Why are we blowing it up? And like our, our visions of what is opportunistic and like what is actually substantive vary depending on the target. And so I think for a lot of those guys, like you, you know, regular straight ticket Republican voters who aren't necessarily like the Breitbart tea party crowd, they go, ah, you know, this is a jerk off non-issue, which is the same thing that, a Democrat would do if Obama had done it like this is optics. This isn't substance. This is a jerk off non-issue. This is, this is the not having a lapel pin. This is the tan suit. Yeah. 
you know? and uh, and I know that you are talking in generalities, and I think the point that you're making is both correct and an excellent one to sort of highlight, especially at the moment. But <laughs> you've got to say that within within the context of how much fucking screaming he's been doing about the NFL players taking a knee that the unique timing of him fucking up a flag ceremony while he's at a military base off the back of two weeks of tweeting nonstop about, and, and the whole Michael uh, Mike Pence storm out of an NFL game, um, that big quarter million dollar publicity stunt <laughs> because they're trying to generate news about you know athletes taking a knee during the national anthem, that when viewed in that context, you've got to live by the sword, die by the sword sort of thing, you know? You, you can make your own rules up a little bit, but you've got to keep following them. And it's the hypocrisy that I think is catching people out, not just the act, you know, in and of itself. But as soon as you get into the hypocrisy discussion, right, at that point, what you're mm-hmm. just trying to do is go, okay, these two things weigh the same. Like, okay, this is what you called out and this is what you did. It's the same thing. Well, to win that, all you have to do is add like another wing to the scale and go, well, this is what Bill Clinton did, right? Like, so it... it if if you can prove it, it's like it, it becomes two wrongs don't make it right right so like okay he's being hypocritical about the flag thing but um you know look at all the times Barack Obama didn't salute a marine right and like all this shit worked in the the campaign too like you know he invited everyone who was allegedly a Bill Clinton rape victim to a debate and this guy had personally fondled or you know outright assaulted including maybe like torn his ex-wife's hair out while raping her but like he'd had credible allegations made against him by over a dozen women and his big idea was like let me get a rape victim consortium together and we'll get them we'll get them we'll get them floor seats at the garden (laughs) yeah and that is that is a uniquely kind of uh that, that is a uniquely awful kind of hypocrisy but there's a different kind that I'm talking about and you know I don't want to get myself too caught up in this thing but it's the fact that he has been crying about this himself and then just fell into his own trap the example of um yeah you know pulling Barack Obama into this and saying you know uh well what if he didn't here's here's footage of him not saluting a troop one time that would be a big deal if he had been banging on about other people not respecting the troops for three weeks before that event happened you know what i mean that's i think why this is important because you're absolutely right if he hadn't been banging on about it i actually would feel some sort of sympathy to a guy who has come from outside the washington machinery who's not used to being around military institutions who doesn't understand these ceremonies and doesn't have an experience of them uh being caught out by things like that happening that he's not aware of and how he's supposed to behave but when he has put himself on this pedestal of, uh, you know, if anyone does anything that calls into question the respect you are supposed to afford the flag and the national anthem, you are a traitor and you are treasonous, then you, f- you are setting yourself up if you don't know those institutions yourself. That, that's the kind of, that's why I think it's such an example of him just setting up his own trap and looking like a complete human penis. You know what I want to see? and I, I haven't seen it yet, is whether the military school that he went to played the retreat at the end of the day. Because in that case, he forgot like at least four years of prep school. That's true. But he's an old fucking guy. That was a long time ago. Well, I mean... It, was he 71? He, he did remember being clearly the finest soldier in his class. And if he hadn't had those bone spurs in his feet, 
you know, watch out All-star Viet Cong. athlete. Could have been a pro football player. Hey, the other big Trump news that happened this week, Jeb, was uh, a, a big piece in Vanity Fair, which was describing the president as uh, unraveling. Um, and what what was the headline of that piece written by Gabe Sherman? Sherman? I've yeah. forgotten. But I don't remember the headline. I he just... was saying, oh, he was saying that he that he hates everyone in the White House. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And there's been a lot of uh, rumors swirling about John Kelly, who's his uh, chief of staff, who I just saw before we started recording has come out and publicly denied the rumors that he's either getting fired or about to quit, which is good, I think, for the country and for the world that there's a little bit of stability being kept there. Um, but yeah, the- <laughs> it was such a great press conference. Like my friend, my friend Dave Roth had a, had one. He, he had a comment uh, uh, about the Tillerson one, where Tillerson came out to like not talk about calling the president a fucking moron and and yeah, said like well yeah. i'm going to keep working here and and i think dave's comment was something like hi you know this special event that i have convened um isn't important it's just for me to tell you how extremely normal and good my boss is <laughs> that was literally the purpose of that press conference that was amazing he convened it off the back of that uh, article being written up and then, yeah, I think he said, "Look, I want to address the core allegation of the story, which is that I, I will, I will not be quitting." And Mike Pence didn't have to convince me to stick around. And then, oh, you, God bless, I can't remember who the journalist was, but a, a woman asked him directly. She was like, "Do you want to sort of answer the allegation about you calling Trump a war?" And he, ah, I'm not going to get involved in that. Yeah. <laughs> it was fucking beautiful. It was like, yeah, you definitely called him a, a moron, and then. <laughs> came out that he called him a fucking moron after Trump said he, that he wanted to increase the nuclear arsenal tenfold. It's just like, yeah, the hits keep coming. But in like terms the fa- of the story that was written up. Just, I'm sorry, like the fact that I, it's so great that we're in two weeks in a row where like a senior member of the administration is like, I'm totally going to keep doing my job. For real. Yeah, yeah. I, I've called this press conference <laughs> to let you know that I'm here. And I'm still here, and I'll probably be here next week too. It's important that you write that down. Um, But this Vanity Fair piece (laughs) was painting a picture of a man unwinding, and mainly John Kelly, by the sounds of it, trying to keep a lid on him. Uh, It sounds like John Kelly and uh, Mattis have formed quite a a tight relationship where they are trying to keep the lid on this thing while it is boiling over and Trump is unravelling, and that is the the picture that this... um, this long piece was painted, or this uh, piece in Vanity Fair was painting. Do, how much credence do you think we should put on that reporting first off, this palace intrigue stuff? I, I would put on that a lot because actually there are three different pieces now. There was one that came up before that, uh, the Sherman one that was in Politico that was talking about how aides have set up, they, they, they quoted it, the, the, the term they used was guardrails around the president to basically steer him away from things that upset him and steer him to things that comfort him. And when he demanded something instantly, when he'd say something like, decertify the Iran deal now, they'd say, well, we can't do it right now. We have to do it a week from now. And, and with the hope that he would forget about it. And it really, like, every single description of this, and, like, the analogy was used in the original piece, like, about dealing with a toddler, it is exactly like dealing with a toddler. I mean, if you've... If Who you've, was the... Who was the Republican lawmaker who tweeted out that he's in a feud with at the moment, who tweeted out um, someone missed their shift at the daycare center? Bob Corker, Senator Corker. Bob Corker. Now, this thing seems interesting, this feud with Bob Corker, because Bob Corker is a Republican saying this, which 
for some people that I'm listening to, has signaled a sea change, making it okay for other Republicans to start making this kind of commentary, which apparently is has been going on the whole time behind closed doors, but now might be starting to come from, uh, you know, out publicly uh, from people who are serving on the same party. Now I know that Bob Cork is not up for re-election, which is kind of a rare position to be in, so he can just burn everything down around him as he goes out the door mm-hmm. but um do you sense a change and in, and in, in what senators and uh senators and congress people from the republican party are going to be able to say and what they will be saying in the next little while well so th- actually the way what i was thinking about about that was and this is something that was raised on um chris hayes on his show on msnbc but it was something i thought about because corker spoke out and then you had um, I think maybe the Politico article came right before that or it came right after that. And then the Gabriel Sherman piece came out. And then there's one in Politico now uh, in which it says H.R. McMaster is basically trying to hide the Iran deal certification from Trump to basically like recertify it where he doesn't notice it. Because again, if he's not aware that he has to do it, that it's just sort of done like, I don't know how they're going to like, do the fake petition thing where you think you're signing one thing and instead you sign another. I don't know how they're going to do it. But like all these stories of, 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 you know, the senior advisors having to treat him like a fucking baby uh, mm. came out in short order after, uh, or like, you know, at least maybe one came out right before after Corker kind of like waka waka uncorked this. And it almost sounded yeah. like white house advisors signaling to the Congress that Bob Corker is right. This man is dangerously unstable. We need you to do something or we need you to like give us the cover to let us do something on like, you know, uh, um, the, the, the 25th amendment, you know, uh, like, I was going to say, like, is that what you're talking about? Do you think it goes to that level that they're trying to throw those signals up? I think some people have to be, I mean, you can't, this is not the way you describe somebody who can be managed. I mean, the the way that these leaks are now portraying him as this is somebody we have to this is somebody who, who has a constant temper tantrums and no sense of perspective who we have to lie to and hide the truth from to keep him from ending the world. That doesn't seem like, you know, like, oh, this guy didn't I, I was supposed to be up for interior, but fucking Zinke got it. So now I'm going to backstab him like, no, this, this is like a different level entirely. It's pretty dramatic when you lay it out like that, Jeb. I, I, you know, I don't, I'm just calling it like a season. I don't know. I mean, like that was the vibe I got. Maybe tomorrow I'll feel differently. I mean, if you're listening to this on the West Coast, baby, you're going to be fine. <laughs> I want, I want to um, just paraphrase what you've just said to make sure I've understood it correctly, though. Do you think it's these senior cabinet members like Madison McMaster who are trying to signal to the Senate that they need and by they like the world needs kind of urgent action on this i don't know who the 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 sources are um you know you you think it's that level i think it may be a couple people at that level but it's probably more than likely like the bulk of this stuff comes from junior level staffers people who worked in the white house who didn't you know who might have been held over uh, uh or people who uh, you know the, the the think tank ghouls like who thought that they would go from Heritage Foundation to uh, to you know uh, crafting their own Holodomor 
for uh, you know uh, starving minorities on American streets and who've been thwarted it in the, in their goal for a pure racialist uh, cleansing by this buffoon in the White House. Like I have no idea who they are. I mean, they could they could just be these opportunistic little shits in Brooks Brothers who thought they were going to become like you know the next uh, uh, you know senior fellow cashing like five hundred thousand dollar annual checks to go like well what if we just shot them I, you know I don't know. Well, watch this space. We're going to take a short break on politics while Jib takes a nap and stops being so cranky, and we'll be right back after this. Obviously, this is not a long-term fix, and the president has more or less admitted as much. He did, of course, try to get real legislation passed to overhaul the uh, the overall industry, and that failed. Um, but in the short run, what he's going to be able to do is say, well, we're trying to fix Obamacare here. Uh, that's just the political solution. I think there are a lot of people out there wondering what this is going to mean for their health care, and that's an open and dangerous question. Welcome back to Politics, featuring the only sane dicks in an insane dick world. That's you and me, Jeb. I, I would like to portray myself, at least for the duration of the Weinstein uh, foo as a dickless American. I like to believe that uh, really most of my interactions with people are fundamentally dickless interactions. Uh, how, would you, how would you otherwise describe a dickless interaction, if you couldn't uh, use that word? I, I would say like, uh, um, I don't know, like completely asexual, like, a diffi- like waspishly, waspishly polite uh, uh, interaction? What? I don't know. Wasp the insect or wasp the uh, acronym? White Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Yeah, I mean, just very, very like it's. I would like to project to you for your own comfort the sensation that I am afraid of intimacy with you as a person, um, or like I, I, and that intimacy extends to things like your politics, your religion, uh, the cost of your home really like how well your students are doing i'd like to know as little as possible about you and i will convey as little as possible about myself Um, well as a millennial who exists almost solely online as an identity on social platforms uh i mean i i'm all for that you're speaking my language hey some breaking news (laughs) happened just while we were um in the power nap phase of this podcast before we wrap up there's some some healthcare goings on jeb right yes uh, so right before we uh, we hopped on here, apparently uh, Politico broke that Trump has uh, has signaled that he is definitely. So we talked about this a little bit last week about how he's sabotaging the ACA. He's definitely not going to continue the subsidies that cover new enrollees to the ACA. So now there's like this multi prong attack. They've got um, uh, they they've reduced the advertising for signups. They reduced the span of time in which you can sign up. They're now scheduling regular maintenance for the sign-up web pages on the weekends. So when people are least likely to be working, they can't actually go and shop for healthcare. Um, and then, it's for hours at a time as well, right? Yeah. No, the I mean, downtime like, on those websites is it couldn't be anything other than intentional. It, it reminds me of the start of uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where Arthur isn't aware that his house is going to be bulldozed for a bypass, and the the construction guy says like. The plans were up in, you know, the town council for months. And Arthur says, you know, it was in a uh, like it was it was in a basement floor serviced by a broken staircase behind a, uh, a door marked beware of the leopard. Right. It's the, <laughs> the exact same thing going on. And then on top of that, uh, Trump has interfered like he deliberately interfered to spike uh, the Iowa exchange, Iowa 
there they got a little they got a taste of Obamacare. They decided they liked it. It's weird when people find out that there's a mechanism that prevents their dying. They're usually in favor of it. This happened again for some reason in Iowa. So uh, even conservatives in Iowa wanted to monkey with the exchange to get it to work. And Trump came in and just vetoed that. So then this is kind of like the last straw. I mean, there are other things he can do. I'm not that well versed in the ACA. And I'm sure like Andy Slavitz or Topher Spiro, those guys who usually cover it on Twitter, probably have got like all the other targets he can make. But this is a big one. Uh, and now we're up to like five different things he's doing that's trying to sabotage it. So, you know, if he can't have repeal, he can he can create a kind of phantom repeal where it implodes without ever being dismantled via a legal process. If it wasn't so important, if it wasn't healthcare, it would be hilarious. Just the level of, of absurdity that he is going out to attack something that is quite popular with mainstream voters. Yeah, and what and I think what this is too is like if you're the sort of person who is going to vote in a Republican primary, uh, you're going to be on the Trump agenda, and this this satisfies that base. And then for the people who aren't the hardcore and who don't feast on this kind of like, um, I'm ter- searching for a term here. I'm going to go with murderous spite. If, if you don't get off on that, you're not going to notice. I mean, you know, ideally, you know, I, maybe that's the gamble here. That's what my bet would be is ideally you don't notice because this starts to implode after 2018 because it's going to take about a year for all the negative effects to hit everybody, right? But in a year's time, uh, if, if they've obscured it that long, they retain control. They can, you know, monkey with the, uh, uh, they can continue monkeying with things and, and hope that uh, in four years they can win. And, and sorry, in, in 2020, they can win purely on money. Or maybe they can just, you know, they'll have prevented enough people from voting by then that it won't matter. I, I want to make, I want to float a suggestion to um, maybe to Donald Trump himself, who I know will be listening. Friend of the pod. If you could, friend of the podcast, if he is, he is the politic. If yeah. there was a way that you could retain the ACA and instead of everyone calling it Obamacare, you simply retitled it Trump Care, I think that would satisfy everyone except for Paul Ryan and no one really cares what he wants at all. The people who are following Trump's agenda and that, that 25 to 30% of voters who will follow him into hell that we were talking about before, they will be satisfied because I, I am not at all convinced that they have policy ambitions whatsoever. Trump certainly doesn't. He just wants to be popular. Obama wouldn't give a shit. He doesn't have the kind of ego that requires his name being on things like Trump does. I, Trump has no fundamental problem with the ideology of what... Uh, uh, the ACA is doing. So I think in much the same way that you could slap the Trump name on a building that he doesn't own and he's happy because he thinks it's his building now, you could do the same thing with Obamacare and it would fix the problem. If there was, And maybe that's happening. Maybe that's what will happen. If there was some way to speed up that process, we, we just need to rename it Trump Care. Yeah. Fucking do it. Everyone get behind that. Well, that was, I mean, I, I think this is something you and I were both talked about multiple times before the election was that Trump is so protean and so uh, like uncommitted to anything except his own personal enrichment that one of the things that did frighten me was that all this guy has to do is do a couple, you know, co-opt a couple uh, liberal uh, uh, and populist 
ideas and yes, you yes. know he would build to this kind of this quell slavish, the outrage. Yeah, like if he really had done, if he had meant that one trillion dollar infrastructure bill idea, if he had meant that by ta- not by giving more tax breaks to wealthy corporations and then paying them no bid contracts, if he actually was going to tax like put a you know a surtax of some kind on high earners to float this and employ a bunch of people they would have cleaned up at the midterms but i yeah, like yeah i just i i don't think you know he he sees that and whoever is the last person in the room can't persuade him of that although i did uh i think it was andy slavitz had the suggestion tonight that maybe maybe this is just getting trump a win and kind of like the certifying the iran deal if they can let him think that he did something and then when it comes to the actual administrative parts, just fail to implement what he said. Like, I'm going to defund this, these subsidies. And then they, they're like, yeah. And they kind of just walk it back to, well, we're not going to add anything to them above like what we're absolutely obliged to already spend. And then not tell him that that was already the case. Like, that's just how the law you're, functions. You're talking, you're talking about some deep state shit now, Jeb. I don't know this they this shadowy organization that's got to placate the president so they can get away with their horrible globalist agenda. Well, I'm just saying, like you know, it may, there may be a troika of of like deep state actors at work here, but we have to hope that they can hold the day until Jared gets back from fixing Israel and Palestine and comes over and can just finally you know start cracking skulls. Hey, without opening up a big uh, separate vein as well, I did just want to mention, because this seemed like kind of potentially a big story, Trump vaguely threatening uh, the licenses of certain journalistic outlets, namely NBC, after they published some stories that he didn't like. Um, Number one, what the fuck was he talking about? Number two, should we pay any attention to it whatsoever? And number three, do you get any sense that he may have violated the First Amendment simply by making the threats themselves? Uh, well, what he's talking about isn't real. They don't have those kinds of licenses. Um, it, it, so he, there's nothing he can yank. Uh, I do think it's a big deal because it's, I mean, it's further intensifying and mainstreaming a 50-year-old project. I mean, the the idea that the, the press is the enemy is ingrained in conservatism for 50 years now, but it has never been so nakedly, um, uh, you know, just just brazen in its capacity for silencing. Now, like the, the true... Nixon administration did kind of say like, well, maybe these outlets should not be able to publish things, but they weren't the, the whole, they weren't going whole all in on like, well, maybe we need to write a law that says we can censor them. And again, this is kind of like getting to the, the whole, uh, uh, you know, sounding retreat thing. I mean, this is like, you know, that, that is, is totalitarian, a gesture, uh, you know, a central power gesture as you can make. Maybe we should institute yeah. a thing where we have to license every single publication in the country and they have to meet certain criteria, government criteria before we consider their ability to publish legitimate. Uh, any it's conservative just, who goes on with that, goes along with that and isn't like screaming bloody, mur- bloody murder at that is a huge piece of shit and that's going to be almost all of them. But the, the symbolism of that was what struck me, right? Because... Whatever Trump says doesn't hold uh, much weight at all that there will be any action to back up, you know, whatever idea has just come into his head. But the symbolism of of him going against literally the First Amendment that's part of your Constitution, which I think often gets bandied around as people talk about, you know, my my First Amendment rights are being infringed. 
um, when someone tells someone to shut up. And if I've understood it correctly, it's really it's about the press and the government's ability to silence them, which is literally the thing that Trump was sort of threatening to do, right? The, the symbolism of that and that it's such a core American principle that he's threatening. And this, he's the fucking president. It's just, again, it comes back to this thing of there's so much normalization going on of very crazy action at the moment, which is the real scary thing. This this nationwide cognitive dissidence, which America seems to be indulged in at the moment. Well, I don't think that's illegal by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, his he has a First Amendment right to suggest that the First Amendment be curtailed. And, you know, every one of those of the, the Bill of Rights, like every single one of those has been trammeled to some degree if you are a purist. And we, we carve out exceptions for all of them. We carve out exceptions for uh, when people, you know, for no knock warrants and uh, for when people can, uh, uh, um, when people can carry a gun. I mean, we we do restrict mm. some firearms usage. It's not absolute. And then the classic example for the First Amendment is nobody has the right to yell fire in a crowded theater and create a panic that can harm people. Uh, so, mm. you know, we we already have the precedent of curtailing it to some degree. What he's saying is like we should do it more, but he has every right to say that. Now, if he were saying something like kind of striking at that, this is striking at the heart of the principle, though, isn't it? It's not like around the fringes or curtailing certain aspects of it that are that are on the extreme of the spectrum. This is kind of like it feels like a spear through the heart of the idea of what that protection is. Well, but that's something that's been practiced by multiple democracies in time of war. I mean, uh, you can argue. I mean, we, we there's already precedent for inhibiting the right of the press. Uh, and by giving them special license to print in times of national security crisis. So, uh, you know, we've we've already walked up to the line, um, you know, or at least, you know, the idea of like open democratic societies have already walked up to that line. So it's not that ridiculous to cross it. Uh, I think I absolutely think we should not. But I'm just saying like, you could make a case and I think there, there are going to be people who are I don't think it's going to be ultimately a, a compelling case but it's not that radical and like nothing he's done so far I think would constitute a crime now if you were saying like this one outlet should be shut down and unless uh, it demonstrates to these people by you know making these exact changes I mean then when we're actually talking about using the government as a lever for like extortion from a private company when they've not broken a law that would be different but i mean he's just complaining well this this threat sounds a lot um realer than i had anticipated i'm very surprised to hear you talk about it in such pragmatic terms um but hey look we've been talking for about an hour jeb so it's it's probably time for us to uh how do you say fuck off but before we do (laughs) a quick update on what's happening in my fear country of Aotearoa, New Zealand, God's own. We still don't have government. Damn it. Um, because that 72-year-old man, Winston Peters, who I think I was telling you about last episode, uh, has... He, the man just can't make up his mind. He can't make up his mind as to which major party he's going to side with. So I feel like the country has lost interest. We had a pretty intense election cycle where a lot of shit happened. People were following the headlines very carefully. And now it feels like everyone doesn't even care who gets in. We just need some resolution to this. And we're on a cliffhanger again and everyone's just a bit fucking fed up. But the good thing is it feels like almost everyone has run out of sympathy and patience 
for Winston Peters, which is good because I hold no love for that man whatsoever. I think he is a very self-serving um, populist dude who just now is in the business of legacy building before he, he retires. But, uh, hey, I'll keep you posted on how it turns out. It it might well be the case that the Prime Minister of New Zealand uh, this time next week is a woman called Jacinda Ardern, who has actually sat in this very studio I'm in now. Uh, I think it was last year, actually, where I had a, a one-on-one chat to her for a, a different podcast series I was doing, um, which is gone now. But Jacinda's awesome. I've known her for uh, a couple of years, and she is very cool. And there's a, a higher possibility that she's about to be the leader of our country, which no one, herself included, saw coming at the start of this year. And that's why we need basic certification, things like publications and podcasts, to let people listening know where their allegiances lie. I'm not saying that we need to restrict their speech, but what I am saying is that we need to color code what kind of paper they can use to let them know who they're owned and operated by and who they're working for. Well, I'm just saying that (laughs) as an anarchist, we need to defend this setup with Bitcoin. I'm going to get a wallet together and uh, we need to take the shit underground. Jeb is the enemy, everyone. I am the one true savior. I I did have one question for you before you go. And this is is a very important Mm -hmm. question. What is the most hilarious outcome that can come from the forming of of the government? Like, is there there something Uh, that can happen that punks this guy? Yes. Okay. Well, not necessarily that punks this guy, but that punks the country. There is, it's conceivable, it's incredibly unlikely, but it is conceivable that Winston Peters could become the Prime Minister, that that could be a chip he's using to negotiate with the major parties with, Um, which would be funny because this is a man who couldn't even win his own electorate seat, Mm -hmm. which he went for. So his own region... He, he's the head of this party, which is about to crown the new prime minister. He couldn't even win that. Um, it's not going to happen. Both parties have discounted it as a possibility. But like technically and legally and as a feature of the system that we have, he could be prime minister when his party got less than 7.5% of the vote. See, th- this is what I would hope for, right? Is like he he's so consumed with his, his issue of legacy that he makes too many compromises just to get the PM ship, right? And then he's mm. done in a hundred days. Like that, because that, <laughs> that would be, you know, that that's the peak schadenfreude thing is like, he finally gets it. You know, he, he's, his picture is going to go up on the wall. They can't take it down. You know, like when, when kids are in their, you know, their kindergartens and they've got the pictures of all the, the, uh, the prime ministers ringing the, the room and then the ABCs and like capital and lowercase cursive, you know, and they just memorize it. He's on there, but, he has to sell his soul to get there, and he's done in less than four months. It all comes crashing down. I mean, that that that's your like reverse house of cards scenario. That's what I would hope it's for. Completely I mean. possible. I don't know. I'm and just, then New Zealand gets some fun by-election situation. I guess. I got. I gotta have Probably something. Not actually. I gotta have something to root for here because I can't vote, and I'm not. I don't have Peter Thiel money, so I can't just sort of like go. Hey, I'm. I'm. New Zealand, I'm just one of your citizens now. That's just a thing. I'm going to be here soon. You know, I can't do that. Although I would love to. It's a, it looks like a gorgeous country, and, and there are evidently lots of people like you in it. But I just can't do that. So from afar, I have to just hope that it burns down. I mean, at uh, least his well, career does. Thank you very much. His, I mean, I, 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 New Zealand. I want you. everybody else the, the to be safe. The fires aren't going to... 
the fires aren't going to take us, Jeb. In about three years, the ocean level will consume New Zealand as an island nation. So I'm going to um, continue to see out the rest of my days here at an ever-expanding beach situation that we've got. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you. And uh, hopefully we will get another episode out lickety split like we did this time see no one thought we would do it but we did we had another one up in a week but we had, we had to do it we had to do it Tim yes <laughs> all the promises we've made have been fulfilled goodbye everyone see you in the next one bye bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.